0: This message was given at Des Moines Campus Fellowships summer leadership training back in 2020. The theme that year was designed, where they studied the creation, fall, and redemption of God's beautiful design. We hope you find this encouraging. So uh, week number three, we're gonna continue on with our SLT series through um, uh, God's design. Uh, God has in his creation, he has a specific design, for our lives. He has a specific design for every single thing that he's created. And we're going to dig into the design of the family. What did God intended to use the family for? How is it supposed to operate? Um, what is its benefits? So um, if you guys will take a look with me up here, um, this is my family. Uh, and these are this is my credentials right here. The fact that I can talk about God's design for families is because I have a family. Uh, and one thing I realize is that uh, in putting this together is I don't have any good pictures of my family within the last 11 months. This was in Duluth last year. Photo credit to Austin Johnson. Thank you, bro. Um, but we look okay there. Um, and that's my family. That's my wife, Lindsay. And that's my son, uh, Max. And obviously the guy there is, is me. Um, So those are my credentials of why I can talk about family. I have a small family, but uh, and so what that means is that right along with you guys, I'm learning, as I have a young family, I'm learning of what what it means, all the implications of having a family and what family uh, is for. Uh, God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. And... um, as, as directors, as, as I'm not a pastor, but I can speak for our pastors uh, too, and any of the leaders uh, in our church, what we want for you guys is for you to be able to understand the Word of God for yourselves and be able to make decisions in your life in order to honor and glorify God with your own life in everything that you do, in your work, it, with family, with friends, in your schooling, absolutely everything. So, Philippians 1 9 uh, through 11, this is a prayer I have for you guys often. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, I'm sorry, the Philippians. He says, And I pray this, that your love will keep uh, growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. In praise of God so what we want to do is we want to equip you guys so that you can approve the things that are excellent in your life so you can make decisions that are in line with God's will and God's design for your life for tonight for marriage last week um, for I'm sorry for tonight family last week marriage and continuing on all sorts of other uh, topics and areas of our lives so tonight, the arc that we're going to kind of follow and, and speak to is we're going to talk about the creation of the family when it was created. We're going to talk about the fall and how sin has destroyed the ability to operate um, uh, in perfection within the family. And then how Christ, thank, thanks be to God, he has uh, redeemed the ability to utilize the family for our good and his glory. So that's the story. Arc. So pray with me and we'll, uh, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Uh, um, thank you for who you are, that, that you're all powerful. You're all knowing. You're all loving. You care about us, us deeply. You're intimately acquainted with uh, where we came from today, how we got here, how we're leaving, what the state of our heart is in right now, pride. Our humility, you're you're right here with us, and I just pray that that as we discuss what the family uh, is designed for and what it's intended to look like, that you just give me grace in communicating, uh, communicating your truth. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so, the creation of the family. Uh, Genesis 1 and I didn't have this up on the screen I just totally forgot to put it there you have you have the, the creation of the world you guys are familiar with that story where God created the heavens and the earth God gave light separated the light from the darkness he separated the waters uh, from the land he gave us the sun he gave us the moon uh, and then he created all living creatures plants and animals on the earth and the pinnacle of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians what's up with the Ephesians uh, the pinnacle of Genesis I'll get to Ephesians later the pinnacle of Genesis one is the creation of mankind so he creates mankind and then he gives what I'm going to refer to a lot is the cultural mandate and it's Genesis 1.28 says be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's the cultural mandate. The first command that we have from God as people is procreate, is fill the earth. And the idea behind that was to fill the earth with God's image. Because two verses before that, one verse before that, man was created in God's image and likeness. And in Genesis 2, uh, God zeroes in on us and how how man and woman came to be created so we'll read Genesis 2:21 through 25 so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man and he slept then God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at the place at that place then the Lord made the rib he had taken from the man into the woman and brought her to the man and the man said this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she has been taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds to his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked and felt no shame. And so right here, you, you see the pinnacle of the creation in God in this pinnacle of the creation creating male Uh, And female, he also creates the institution of marriage, where uh, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's more than just sex, it's their whole lives being intertwined and committed and devoted to one another. But also, here is the creation of another institution. At the creation, at the institution of marriage, there's also the institution of the family. It says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. He is outside of the authority of his parents and he creates a new authority, authority structure with his wife. So the family is created right at, at the consummation of marriage. So what is the design of the family? So any creation with a creation, you know that a creation, something that has been created has a design and each uh, each thing that has been designed, it also has a purpose. That's why you've never went to go purchase a car and been really surprised when you find two seats in the car. You're not surprised because the the car was created to get people from point A to point B, and we like to sit in seats, and so people aren't going to sell a car that has no seats. I would be okay if... Uh, I showed up to buy a car with only two seats but none in the back with a bed, a bed in the back. You know, the, the truck bed. I would be totally fine if someone to give me a truck, gift me a truck. I feel like I need a truck. Please help me get a truck. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the car has been designed to get people from point A to point B. That's the purpose. And so the, the car has been designed with that purpose in mind. <clears throat> And a couple years ago, Matt Harrima, he, he talked up here at SLT. You can look back in the archives uh, about the attributes of God. Does anyone remember this talk about the Trinity? Okay. Uh, so so he, talked, he talked about the Trinity. And when he was talking about the Trinity, uh, uh, he was basically expressing that all the examples that we have in our culture, in our world, that tried to address the the Trinity that tried to explain the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit collectively God, each individually God we have zero ways to really represent the Trinity well, but what he talked about was how the family it's not a perfect representation of the Trinity but it's the most available representation we have to image the Trinity, it's like a mirror image, it's a two Uh, it's a two-dimensional what does it say? It's a two-dimensional reflection of a 3D reality. And he used the same concept with the cat two weeks ago where he put the image of the cat up here and said this is not my cat. He said this is an image of my cat. This is lots of colors and pixels to create an image of my cat. This is not my cat. So what the family is, is it's a, two, it's a reflection of, it's, it's the best representation of the reflection that we have of the Trinity. In the family we were designed, in this family institution, we were, we were designed to reflect the image of God when we have a family. Father, mother, child. <clears throat> So the purpose of the family is to image God. So what does the process of imaging God look, look like? What does it look like to actually image God in the context of family? And what it looks like is that the family is designed to establish a consistent and optimal environment where the father and the mother raise up their family, their children in the image of God. In, in essence, it's to establish a, a like a greenhouse for the sake of discipleship, for the sake of training up children um, in the Lord. Recently, uh, Lindsay and I did some landscaping at our house. Um, and when, when you're deciding what to put uh, for the plants, if you guys know anything about plants, if you've ever done landscaping for a job or for a um, uh, just at for leisure at, at your house, you'll know that when you start going to plant plants, that some plants really like sun. And some plants really like shade. And some plants like a mixture of shade and sun. And some of those plants that like a, like a mixture of shade and sun also like a lot of water. And some of them like a little bit less water. And some of the plants that like a lot of sun like less water. They like more water. And if you're a horticulturalist, you're a professional in... Uh, in this area, you will know it, with the direction that the house is facing the, dire- the, the direction that the sun comes up and over the house how much sun this area gets is this is this place where you 're planting the flowers does it get a lot of rain when it rains or is it kind of under an eve and it only gets rained on when the wind blows? These are things that that these professionals have have to think about a lot and uh, And to get your plants to grow, you want to put them in the correct spot. And this is what the family is to a child who's being raised up in the Lord. A father, a mother, raised up in the instruction of the Lord. Uh, This is the optimal place for the growth of of the kids. This is the optimal place of growth for the mother and for the father. And we'll see this in, in the scripture right here. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 8 It says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk Along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. And this is right after God gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments, and He's made this covenant with them, and He says, he says, you as fathers, you as mothers who are raising up your kids, your job is to disciple your kids and help them understand the law of God, that the law of God is good. It's what's best for them. It's what grows them up into a relationship with God in this concept of, of repeat them to your children, talk about them uh, when you sit, when you walk, on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. This is covering in all of life. Wherever you're at, whenever you have an opportunity to remind your children of God's grace to the Israelites. Whenever you have an opportunity to remind your children of God's goodness to his people, do so. Does this remind you of something that we talk about a lot here? Doesn't it remind you of discipleship where we talk about uh, uh, sharing the gospel with your friends who don't know the Lord? Remind them what God has done for people to save people. Or when someone, one of your Christian friends is going through a really difficult time. Don't you point them back to the hope that we have in Christ in the Scriptures? Next passage, Proverbs 1, verse 7 and 8. so this is Solomon talking this is right at the beginning of Proverbs and this is right after this famous the famous passage we're going to go over initially is uh, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom and discipline and so he sets up you want to be wise? fear God you want to be foolish? fear anything else but God you want to be wise? honor God with your life you want to be foolish, honor anything above God in your life. And the very next thing that he goes to, he says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not reject your mother's teaching. Right, right after that really impactful passage of, you want to follow God? Fear God. You know how you fear God? Be wise and listen to your mother's in, uh, teaching. And your father's instruction. And the assumption here is that the fathers and the mothers are, uh, are walking with God. They're teaching and training them uh, as, as is instructed in Deuteronomy 6 right here. The next passage we're going to go through, I want you guys, I, didn't, I don't have up here, because I want you guys to open your Bibles for me real quick. This is where we're going to get to Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians 5 verses 22 through Ephesians 6, 4. And if you have a short memory, Darren went over this exact same passage last week. So here's a cue. If you want to know about the marriage and family and how we're intended to operate in God's design, this is a really good place to go and to read and to memorize and to meditate on. So I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to talk through it a little bit. So Ephesians 5, verse 22, this is the clearest picture that we have, I think, in Scripture of what it looks like to operate as a family. Ephesians 5, 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives and their bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his mother, his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, uh, to sum up each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to talk about husbands and wives, and then I'm going to re- move on and read about children. So, what is the instruction that wives have here? The instructions that wives have here is wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives submit to husbands as to the Lord. This is what the word of God teaches. And in our culture, I might, if I was preaching this on the street, I might have gotten shot, you know, by now for 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 saying something like this, but this is the word, this is the word of God. And we're talking about the image of of the family imaging God, our creator. So there's a reason why. And this isn't obviously the only, this isn't the only command to women in the Bible. There's 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 commands to women, there's commands to men, there's commands to Christians in general. But in in regards to the family, how the family is supposed to operate, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Christ is the head, and the, the concept is that your husband, not all men, but your husband, is obeying Christ. And you're to submit under that. So most of you ladies are single, and you're saying, Why did you just hammer that so hard? Does this really even apply to most of these people in this room? Yes, it does. Because most of you, if not all of you, will be married someday. And you want this passage to guide how you set yourself up to get into a relationship. So, one of the main questions, you single ladies, that you should ask yourself or one of you ladies that's in a relationship that's planning to get married, or or you ladies that are married, if you're if you're um, discipling someone, one of the main questions you should ask them to ask themselves is: Will this guy, will this bro, will this dude lead me and my family into greater devotion to Christ? It's a really important question. Because if the design of the family is to image God and that's not the purpose of this guy you're interested in, that's a sad day to be in that relationship to miss out on God's design for your life. So how do you know? How do you know? What questions you can ask as you're looking at his life is does he lead himself and others into greater devotion by submitting to the word of God? Does he know the word of God? The word of God that he knows, does he submit under God's authority to the word of God for the sake of leading himself and others into greater devotion to Christ? Another question, does he submit to pastoral leadership? I'm not a pastor, so I feel like I can say this really freely. But if a guy doesn't submit to pastoral leadership before you're ever together, he probably won't submit to pastoral leadership when you get together. Does that make sense? So you can see a lot about how I got the trajectory of a man by what he's doing right now. Does he humbly pour himself into others? If he doesn't humbly pour himself into others now, seeking to lift up others into greater devotion to Christ. He won't do that later, or probably will not do that later. How much does he squat? <laughs> because life gets heavy sometimes. <laughs> no, that's not really important, but eh, it won't hurt. <laughs> and the reason I say this again is, is because, because marriage by its design, is one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's, that's what we get. A, a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh and, and they, don't, they don't separate in the Word of God. And I know for a fact, I don't know of all of you girls, but I know for a fact that, that if you want to honor God with the rest of your life, you do not want to wind up in a relationship committed, devoted in a relationship with someone who has zero desire to image God in your marriage, to train up your kids in the instruction of the Lord. I just know that you don't, if you want to follow Christ, you don't want that. husbands. <clears throat> for you guys. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He literally was murdered and crucified and hung on a tree in in embarrassment in front of the entire region of, of people. Totally in shame. And so this command is husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ladies, wouldn't it be a lot easier to submit to your husbands if this is how he loved you? Of course it would. That's the the concept behind Paul saying, submit to your husbands. This This is how you're going to image God And for husbands to have the heat turned up quite a bit. And I know that, guys, uh, very few of you are married. But most of you, if not all of you, someday will be married. <clears throat> and one of the questions that you want to ask yourself before getting into a relationship with a woman for the pursuit, sake of pursuing marriage is... Will this woman, let me lead her into greater devotion to Christ? Will this woman let me lead her into greater devotion to Christ? How do you know if she will? Well, you can look at her life and you can ask, does she lead herself and others into greater devotion to Christ and submitting to His Word? You can, you can tell when you think about this person in the context of the, your church community, does, does she do that? <clears throat> does she submit to pastoral leadership? Or older women in her life that love her dearly? Does she listen to them? More mature men, more mature women that lovingly speak into her life, does she listen to them? or seek them out at all? Does she humbly pour herself into others? If she doesn't do it now, she won't humbly pour herself, or probably won't humbly pour yourself into your guys' relationship in the future. And I don't know all of you guys, I know more of you guys than I know of girls. But I know for a fact of you guys that want to pursue God for the rest of your life, that you don't want to be in a relationship for the rest of your life with a woman who has no desire to image God within your marriage and within your, fam- within your family. I know for a fact, if you want to walk, walk with God, that you don't want that. <clears throat> I forgot to ask the squat question for the ladies. That's also important too. Okay, so let's go back to right at Ephesians 6, verses one through four. So that's wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord because it is right. Honor your father and mother, mother, which is the first commandment with the promise so that it may go well with you, and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, do not stir up your children in anger, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so children, this, you, you should, as your parents, want to obey God, want to image God in their lives with your family. Obey your parents. <clears throat> um, the The fifth commandment is honor your father and mother, uh, which is still which is still intact. Whether or not your parents are Christians or not, you they have God ha, in His in His sovereign wisdom has put you in that family. We'll talk about the implications of that if your family if you're in a family you are a Christian, your parents are non Christians, but nonetheless, the command is to honor them. And the thing that's rattled me all day in the last couple days is why doesn't Paul right here in Ephesians 6 with, with the, uh, in my own experience with my wife and my son, Lindsay works hard to teach my son. Lindsay works hard to love my son to train my son, to teach them how to listen and obey his parents as we try to walk with God together. Why does Paul, who's wise, who is smart, who wrote an incredible percentage of the New Testament, why does Paul only give a command to fathers right here? Why not parents? It's not that different of a word. It's just one word. Say parents instead of fathers. Fathers, do not stir up your children in anger, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. <clears throat> and we're going to go through this when we talk uh, in the next section when we talk about the fall. But I think that the reason, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think uh, uh, the way that God created Uh, women different than men is that they are designed to just, like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of of my kids. You know, they have a need. I'm going to take care of them. They need me to teach them something. I'm going to teach them. And we're fathers. You can see this in our culture tend to be very much standoffish. But I think the main reason that Paul instructs the fathers here when talking about training your children up and The word right here is paideia, the the training and instruction of the world. It's the word paideia, which is an enculturation. It's like it's like the the concept of what I was talking about with a horticulturist, where you know you know the places where where uh, the plants like sun, where the plants which plants like shade, what need more water, what need less water. You know you're intuitive to those realities, and you're you're training your kids up in the best way to. Um, for that, to image God in your family relationship, and the analogy that I have is is the analogy of a foreman over here uh, on uh, like right across the river. There's a federal building being built, uh, and it's I heard that it's going to be really really sweet. And they have construction workers, and those construction workers do the most the manual labor. They're building the foundation, they're framing, they're putting on the finishing touches, and they do most of the work. But then there's a foreman, and the foreman's responsibility is he he doesn't do most of the work. He does some of the work, but his job is to sign off on all of the work that all the construction workers are doing and saying, this is up to code, this is gonna stand the test of time, this isn't gonna fall down. And if six months from now that federal building were to fall down, who's who's responsible? Whose neck would be on the line? The people financing the whole project? Uh, No. The construction workers, would their necks be on the line? No. It's the foreman. The foreman who said, this is the way we're gonna do it. That looks good, that looks good, that looks good. That's gonna stand the test of time. That is where the buck stops. That is who is responsible. And the same thing goes with the family. God, in his infinite design, in his infinite wisdom, sometimes, I don't know why, has placed the father uh, in a place where the trajectory of the family is, is the father's responsibility, whether the mother, wife, children, husband, realize that the trajectory of their family is not moving toward imaging God, the Father is responsible for that. And a lot of you guys right now are saying I'm single. I have no prospect of getting married. I don't even want to get married right now. I don't even want to have a family right now. That seems way too scary. And then you just told me that it's like that as a man, I'm responsible for the trajectory of the family. And then you told me as a woman that I'm responsible to find a guy who I'm willing to let lead me into greater devotion to Christ. I think I'm going to leave. <laughs> uh, Staying with me, there's more, there's more, uh, there's uh, the purpose of the biological family is also the same as the purpose of the church family. And you guys are a part of the church. But we've got a little problem, <clears throat> and our little problem is called sin. Um, so, we have the fall of the family. And, and I'm just going to give you guys the passages. They're right here in a row. You can go read them later, but I'm just going to paraphrase these passages. It's Genesis 3, verses 1 through 13. This is where uh, the serpent deceives Eve, Eve eats of the tree, Adam is passive, etc. And then you have Genesis 4, 1 through 8. And what you'll notice is things get real crazy. Real quick, when sin enters the picture, so Eve sins. So she believes that that uh, the uh, the serpent, he's cunning, he's deceiving. Says, "No, you won't, you won't." Uh, uh, the reason God doesn't want you to eat from the tree is because He'll know that you'll become like Him, which He was misleading her because she did become like Him. When she ate the fruit, she became aware of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Good and evil were separated right there. You could see good and evil. Sin entered the world right then and there. So Eve sins because she didn't trust God's word. And then Adam, he was sitting there passively. Adam, what are you doing? You heard the same command. Don't let her be deceived and eat this fruit. And then she eats the fruit and he's like, I'll eat the fruit too. Again, a very passive decision. Okay, you make the decision where we're going, what we're doing. And here's the interesting thing here, which, which is another... Uh, 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 I can't remember the word. I'm going to keep going and th- think of this word later. So, uh, so God right here, he calls out Adam. Why does, why does God call out Adam? So they sin, they both hide. Why does God call Adam out? Why does he say Adam and Eve? Eve sinned first. Why doesn't he say Eve? And I think this goes back to Ephesians 4. Men, in the family structure, you are responsible for the trajectory of the family. If the ship is going down, you are responsible for for riding the ship. Under Christ, but you are responsible for correcting the ship. And then, uh, right at the end of the passage, God confronts them. Uh, he says, "Adam, like, what happened?" And Adam says, "The woman you gave me—that's what happened." Blame shifting, right? He won't take responsibility for his sin. And then Eve—I can imagine, like, if they had a home and they had just, like, recently got married. Uh, for those of you guys who are married or recently got married, what that conversation was like when they got home. Like, how long did it take them for, for, for them to resolve this issue within themselves? Like, you blame this on me, and then you blame this on me, and then you blame this on somebody else, and then you blame this on me. You're the worst. You're the worst. No, you're the worst. You're the worst. Like, it probably took a, quite a long time to resolve between them. But there's an incredible amount of blame shifting, and when sin enters the family relationship, things get real messy between husbands and between wives, and there is a lot of sin to resolve in the home. You guys, and you guys even know this. Living with all your roommates in close quarters, you know that there's a lot of sin. that doesn't get resolved, that should get resolved, that you guys should work to resolve, and you something in the back of your head right now, you know you need to talk to your roommate tonight because they did this or that or the other thing, and it's sin, and you need to rebuke them, etc. You guys know what I'm talking about. Sin, when it's in relationships, it destroys those relationships. So husband and wife, sin's going to destroy those relationships. You can't image God as the family when there's sin that's disallowing you to operate in unison. And then Genesis 4, 1-8. Things get real crazy real quickly here. This is the story of Cain and Abel. Cain, Abel, they grow up in the same family. Abel does really well, gives a lot to the Lord. Cain gets jealous and kills him. Cold blood murder. This is like One of the first families, brother against brother. Sin destroys relationships, brother against brother, sister against sister. And we all know that God didn't, wouldn't have, did not command brother to kill brother, because two chapters earlier he said, be fruitful, multiply. It was a step back for brother to kill brother. His parents were probably not like, yeah, if he just makes you angry, just go ahead and knock him off, you know, chop him down. He commits murder. That wasn't that wasn't that wasn't what his fam- his parents would have said. It's in there because it's a big deal. It was sinful. It was wicked. And we see in creation that the family is designed to image God, and we see in the fall that the family is one of the places where we have and will experience some of the most painful, uh, the, the greatest amount of suffering and the most amount of loss. I, I, we could open this up up here for mic night. Open mic night. And we're, we share, okay, share your highest of highs and lowest of lows within, the fam- within your walls and your family. And a lot of us we would not even remember the highest of highs. There have been wicked, wicked, wicked things that have happened to some of you guys sitting in here within the walls that your family lived in. And then if we take, if we take all the people tonight that are going to be walking to and fro from bar to bar... And we open this up and say, share, share with us your highest highs and your lowest lows within the family. Sometimes I d- drive through neighborhoods or, or like someone has road rage. Road rage. Uh, you know, I do something, cut them off, do something stupid or whatnot. And like the looks that I get, the fingers that I get, the, the angry, like you know that they're yelling at you and screaming at you. And I think, what is life like in their home? And I drive uh, uh, through some of the neighborhoods, uh, and sometimes I'll just think, I wonder what's happening in these homes right as we speak. Some of the most painful, wicked, disgusting things are happening when you're driving from here back back home. Some of the most painful things that people will ever experience are happening in their homes tonight. There's so much pain that can be experienced in the home. And so much goodness too. And thanks be to God in Jesus Christ He has redeemed the family structure. He has enabled us even though we would get up here and just to share the things that have been in our minds and the The thoughts, the negative thoughts, the wicked thoughts that we've had of people are sins just from today. We would be too embarrassed to get up and just share these things with one another tonight. And we have a lifetime of those things. And Christ, in Christ, He has eliminated those things for the Christian. He has removed sin as far as the east is from the west and redeemed the purpose of the family. And I love how God has the foresight, the vision uh, of redemption for the family all the way back in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 21. The Lord God made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Isn't that weird? Like just in, in that passage, okay, uh, they sinned and, and they're getting kicked out of the garden and God says, oh, before you leave, here, put on a shirt and some pants. Yeah, get out of here. But this, what this is, is it's a picture of what God was going to do in Christ Jesus. He knew people were going to sin and He knew that He would have to clothe people. In what? Clothing? No. In His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made Him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He took our sin, stacks and stacks and stacks, all of our sin, and He said, in Christ, He said, I will trade you my righteousness, my sinlessness. I'll take your sin, and you take my righteousness. And in Christ, He has clothed the Christian with His righteousness. In the same way that He clothed Adam and Eve with their clothing. So this redemption of the family means God restoring the family to its original design. Uh, before sin enters the world. And so if you have any passages in the Word of God on marriage, it's part of Old Testament, New Testament. Any instruction from God on marriage, that is what you can cling on to for the redeemed uh, familial structure. We can cling to that. We can look to Ephesians 5, 22 through 6 verse 4. We can look back at Deuteronomy 6. We can look uh, to Proverbs 1. We can look to Genesis 1. We can look to Genesis uh, 2. And we can cling on to that where God has restored uh, the, uh, the purpose for where husbands, wives, and children image God together in family. And Darren last week, he talked about Uh, the purpose of marriage. It was to reconcile. Reconcile with each other and reconcile to God. And then the purpose of marriage was to sanctify. To sanctify one another. The wife would sanctify the husband. The husband would sanctify the wife. Challenge them to, to, to walk with God in their lives. And obviously, multiplication. To have children together and to disciple them in the Lord. This is what fruitfulness looks like within God's design for the family. But I talked about earlier how God's design for the family, now the implications are that we in Christ, God has created a spiritual family in his redemption. That's the church. So all of these responsibilities that husbands and wives and children have within the family structure, we as Christians have in the church. We have different roles in the church that we play. So the design of the church family, it's it's not a replacement of, but it's a way to fill up what was lacking in our biological families. You think back to your experiences. I had a good mom, bad dad. I had a bad mom, good dad. I had no mom, I had no dad. I had great grandparents, I had not great parents. I had lousy grandparents, I had great parents. I had no parents, I had guardians. The the church, when people come to Christ, the church fills up what is lacking in the familial structure. Does that make sense? Like like the as um, if, you, if you're a single guy or a single girl for the rest of your life, you can still have spiritual children. In a sense, people that you're discipling to the Lord. You can still have spiritual parents. You can still have spiritual grandparents. You can have good examples. You have pastors who take care of you and direct you and lead you. So the the same cultural mandate from Genesis 1, 28, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and then train up your kids in the Lord. The same thing for uh, husbands and wives uh, in the family relationship with their children. To fill the earth and disciple kids, train them up in the Lord that is your Biblical mandate as well. Why do I say that? Do you think that Jesus, a single man for his whole life, and Paul, a single man probably for his whole life, do you think they, do you think they wondered if they could ever fulfill their purpose in this life while single? No, they didn't wonder that at all. They knew that they could fill the purpose for their life as single men within the church. And you see the mirroring of God's first command to humans and Jesus' last command to his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Doesn't that, doesn't that look a lot like God's purpose for the family. So you see this wrapped up in the church. And so you guys, even though you're single, and and almost especially while you guys are single, you can devote yourselves to the Lord in the evangelization of Drake, of Grandview, of DMACC, sharing the Gospel with your friends, reconciling your friends to God and those people who, who, who come to Christ or those people who come to college and they're very young in their faith, you can take them under your wing and you can train them up in the wisdom and the instruction of the Lord. You can become a spiritual father, a spiritual mother to these people. The design of the church family gives you that ability to do that. One last thing before I close. What about your biological family? If you are purposeful in your life, and you just became a Christian, you came from a Christian family, a non-Christian family, a stale Christian family, you can have an incredible, incredible, incredible amount of influence. You, as a young person who says, "I I wanna honor God in my life. And God in His infinite wisdom has placed you in your biological family. And it's interesting how sometimes God uses kids to influence spiritually their parents, their brothers and sisters, their grandparents to become Christians. Just a little personal story uh, for me. I remember going on a mission trip my freshman year right after I became a Christian. I was so excited and I had, I can't tell the story right now, but I had a crazy, crazy, crazy story of evangelizing when I was in uh, Spain. A guy that I shared the gospel with between the time that I went to follow up with him uh, and the time that I talked to him, he died, okay? I'm gonna leave the hanger for that. I'll tell you guys that some other time, but it was crazy. And so I shared this, uh, this at the church and I invited my dad who had walked away from God. And I remember him coming to the church service and like really uncomfortable, but, but he wanted to support me. And I remember him showing up with his Bible and him saying, I literally had to dust off the Bible as I brought it here because it has been so long since I've opened up the Word of God. And today my dad is walking with God. And some of my siblings are walking with God. And my stepbrother, he became a Christian recently and, and is teaching and training his kids in knowledge and wisdom of God. And that's not going to happen for everybody. But you can have an incredible amount of influence on your biological family. So you look at the arc of the story that we've established tonight. We have a perfect design from an all-powerful creator whose purpose for that design was to fill the earth with his image and his likeness. And we've seen how much sin corrupts the family structure and has made it hard to see God's good design for the family, and even how it will work in our world. We see how God uh, has redeemed the family be, uh, uh, Redeemed the family through Christ and has extended our familial responsibilities beyond our last name to anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, the church. And by his grace, as young men and young women, you get to participate in the multiplication of his kingdom today through discipleship, through sharing the gospel, through loving and serving and blessing one another in Christ. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your design for, for our family, for the families. Thank you that, that uh, uh, we have the, the blessing in Christ as mothers, as fathers, as singles, to image you as we love and serve and bless one another, that people can see Christ in us. Thank you, Lord, for that blessing. We pray this things in Jesus' name. Amen. Campus Fellowship is a student organization designed to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. If you found this encouraging, we invite you to subscribe or follow for more content, or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Thanks for listening.